0: What a high calling, and uh, what an important thing to strive after. So, when I was young, I mean like three or four, and uh, my parents and the Bible class teachers, they were teaching me how to pray. They said, you should begin your prayer, dear Heavenly Father, which I guess is uh, kind of a spinoff of Our Father Who Art in Heaven, Hallowed Be thy, Thy Name, from the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and I think that's a, a phenomenal way to start a prayer. Obviously, not the only way to start a prayer, but like a, it's a pretty good one. Um, but what's interesting about this phrase and about the phrase that it's taken from from the Bible is that it recognizes God as our Father. And I think that's interesting. Uh, and I think it's important, especially as we are thinking about the way that we teach small children to pray, that children understand who God is by first understanding who their parents are. Like, obviously, once you get older, you know, 10, 12, 15, like, you you know your Bible well enough that you begin to understand that God is perfect in ways that your parents are not, Uh, and that God has traits that define what, that the Heavenly Father has traits that define what an earthly father should be like. But for the early parts of your life, you learn what it means to have a Heavenly Father by having an earthly father you get to understand what it means to have a compassionate caregiver, someone who is merciful, someone who is looking out for you, by having a physical person in front of you that you can see. And in a very real way, parents represent God to their children for a a big part of their lives. And that is a very high calling. It's intense. It's important that you get it right. And obviously, uh, everyone fails. I mean, no one can be like God is, but we all try and we're all called to that kind of standard if you're a parent. And in the same way, there are many relationships like that that teach us about God because God isn't just our father. Obviously, that is the most common name for him, but if you look through uh, the Bible, God is recognized as many things. Uh, He is compared in the book of Isaiah to a mother. Uh, He is compared to a co-worker in the book of Corinthians. We know he is our king. He is our master. And when we talk about Jesus, Jesus is our Lord, but he is also our brother since we are co-heirs with him. And so we begin to understand who God is by the different relationships that we have with one another. And we learn a little bit about God's mercy and grace by showing mercy and grace to the people that we love. We learn about patience by being patient like God is. And each relationship that we are teaches us something different about God. And also, as we've discussed, parents teach their children what it means to have a, a heavenly father. And we are called as you know, husbands and wives, as parents, as brothers and sisters, as uh, employee, employer, to represent God in those relationships. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to conclude our study on the book of Ephesians. We conclude our study on the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 6, uh, 9. And uh, if you weren't here last time, uh, we were taking Ephesians chapter by chapter. But there's a section right here uh, in Ephesians five twenty-two to 6, uh, 9 that is called a household code. That is uh, what they're called in the Greek world. That's what I'm going to call it this morning. That's how I uh, snuck it into the household theme. We won't won't have any construction metaphors this morning, just the household code. And I decided not to break that up, so instead we got the sections around it last time, and this time we're talking about this household code. And I want us to look at it through this lens. As I've been discussing, uh, parents represent God to their children. The world gets to see what love looks like by seeing the way husbands and wives love each other. And we are going to see this morning that in three specific relationships we are called to emulate Christ and thus learn about him and also represent him to the world. And so with that let us begin then in Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 22 and we will read uh, the rest of chapter 5 and then we'll discuss it. So Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 22. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now this is uh, an ambitious text, I I suppose, uh, because it's contentious in the world, but I don't think it needs to be. I want to lay some scaffolding for this text. Uh, First, I want to say that We have seen this idea of Christ being the head already in this book. Uh, In chapter 1, we learn that Christ is the head of the church because God set out the blueprint and Jesus did what was required to make it a reality. Uh, In chapter 4, we learn that Jesus is the head to which we, his body, are growing up into uh, him to, to fill his role. And so we understand Jesus is the head of the church. And we also understand that Jesus gets to be the head of the church, not just because he is the Lord, not just because he inherited it, but because he died for it. He cared for his church. and That's very important. The other thing that we need to know going into this text is that we've already kind of laid the foundation for what Paul is going to say here. So he said in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So he's going to say, men, you need to emulate Christ. But he's already been saying that. They're also, he's also going to say that we need to, as people who have had the light of Christ shown on us, verse 14, Uh, reflect that to the world so that the people, when they see us, uh, they are ashamed of their filthy ways and that they want to pursue the light, the light that is living in us that has been reflected from Christ. And so I would argue this morning that what we are called to be in all of our relationships is people that reflect Christ, reflect the love of Christ, reflect these relationships of Christ so that the world can see it. And so therefore, he says, uh, chapter 515, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. He says, look, if if the world is watching you, you need to be very careful how you walk. And one of the specific ways that we need to walk is with wisdom. He says, be filled with the Spirit. But then he's going to say, now, in your personal relationships, first husbands and wives, then fathers and children, and finally masters and slaves, you need to reflect this Christ church uh, image. And so in marriage, he says it's ordered like this. The husband is the head and the wife is the body. And we often would think of this, oh, you know, he's, he's the domineering master and, and she is the, the, his, his slave. But no, like, that's not how it works because that's not how it worked with Jesus. I want to point out to you something very critical that happens in this text because I think it's often overlooked. In verse 31, he says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. Before we even get into this text, I want us to have this picture in mind, because this, I think, really transforms the way we read this text. What he's saying here is that the critical part about husbands and wives reflecting Christ and the church is that they are one. And this, is, this kind of shines light on the image of the head. Because commentators, if you read them, are kind of baffled as to why God chose to represent this as head and body. Because in this Greek world, uh, they would think of the duality of flesh and spirit. The flesh is evil, and the spirit is, is the wise guide. And so in, it would make the most sense in their context to say, That God is the Spirit, or Jesus is the Spirit, and that we are the body. But he doesn't say spirit and body, he says head and body. Which is curious until you recognize that the head is part of the body. That what we need to see here is that Jesus is part of the body and is its head. In the same way, Christ and the church is reflected in marriage by the fact that husband and wife are one and yet also head and body. And this is curious because we see not only then an authority uh, dynamic, but also a dynamic of unity. That they are working together, that they are different and the same. And that, having said that, let us investigate our text then. So let's start with wives because that's what comes first. uh, Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, what does this mean? I'm, I'm not going to like shake any feathers this morning because I think it means exactly what it says it means. And there's a whole world of people out there who want to make it say not what it says it says. But, it says, wives, submit to your husbands, ask the Lord. And there are a lot of people who come up with alternate interpretations about how it doesn't really mean that, but that, that's what it says. So one of them, for instance, is that they will challenge the idea that head means head as an authority. Uh, you might think uh, there's an, another way you can use this Greek word, and that is head as in source, like the head of a river. And a lot of people will say that that's what it means here and that uh, Jesus is, is the source of the body and, and the husband is the, the source of the wife. And I, I get lost in the metaphor. Uh, I understand then how you can submit to your head as in head authority, but it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, any other way. I also uh, wonder about, as you, as you read the, the rest of the book, the way he uses the word head in uh, chapter 1, Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 4 it's each time Christ as the authority Christ as uh, the leader of the body and so again uh, I guess Jesus initiated the church he is its founder but that doesn't seem to be the thrust that Paul is going for and again maybe as source you could get the ideas of sanctification and, and cleansing and cherishing but that's not exactly what Paul is intending by this image just because of the way he seems to be using it it doesn't make a lot of sense the most sense then you could say husband is the head of the wife he's the provider but Paul doesn't say that here and so I I'm, I'm baffled as to why it would mean anything except head as authority uh, and that's that's the way we're going to take it but then there comes uh, another couple questions so first of all like what is that look like. And I I have to be honest, it's going to look different for different people. Um, But I think it's important uh, that we consider what that means in your spousal relationship. What does it mean to be the head and the body? And I think, again, we need to stress that Jesus gets to be the head, not just because he's in charge, but because Jesus took care of the body. Jesus did a bunch of things to sanctify the body, as we're going to see in a moment. And he is the head, not just because he inherited it, not just because he wants to be in charge, but because he really cares about the body. And so that brings us to a question that I think is important to ask is, why is that the case? Um, Why is it that wives have to submit to their husbands? Well, obviously that's what it says, but, but why? So, as we discussed in the beginning, wives and husbands are a reflection of Christ and the church. And so if there is going to be a mirror image of an imbalanced relationship, Christ being in charge and the body, church, being in submission to Christ, then if we're going to mirror that, it has to be that way in the relationship too. So somebody has to be the head. And so then you might ask, okay, well, why is it that men get to be the head and women are the body and not the other way around? And I've got three options because I'm not really sure. And you can take any of these three. It doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, that's what it says. But I'll give you three possibilities. One, uh, if you take, for instance, the, uh, the creation model, you've got Adam was formed first and then Eve, therefore Adam is in charge because he came first. And that it would be like 1 Corinthians 11, that we've got this, this order of creation. Um, and that's why man is the head. If you don't like that option, here's another option. Um, Perhaps man is the head because he is more suited to be the head. And you would get that from going back to the creation. Adam was created. He had a purpose. And God created Eve to help Adam fulfill that purpose. And so you would say, okay, look, see, man was created to lead and women was created to help man lead. And that's that's the way it is. But I've met Too many men who aren't great at leading and too many women that are phenomenal leaders for me to think that's the way that everyone could be. And of course, you know, we can all fit this pattern because that's what God calls us to do, but it doesn't seem to me that that's the best answer because I don't, that doesn't reflect what I see in the world, that man is just made to lead and women are are made to follow. And so perhaps then I'll give you a, a third option, and I know that some of you won't like this option, but perhaps it's just arbitrary And that one of them had to be the head and the other one had to be the body. And that's the way it was. And again, if you don't like that, two other options. But in any case, the husband is the head of the body. And the wife is the body. She follows him. But again, remember we're talking about a picture of unity and of difference. That they work together, head and body, working as one, as they are one. But also different. That wives are called to submit to their husbands, and this is also interesting, I should note, because the word submit is not actually in verse 22, it's found in verse 21 because it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, and then it says, Wives also to your husbands. So, we also should understand that submission is not something that only women are called to do, or only wives, because this is actually specifically to wives. Rather, we are all called to submit to one another, but wives are called to submit in a special sort of way because they are representing to the whole world what the, the church and God the head look like as they are functioning together as Jesus leading the church and we are his body working to serve him, working to accomplish God's will on the earth. So I have a little bit more to say to wives, but I want to talk to husbands before you guys start throwing rotten tomatoes at me. So husbands, in verse 25, Love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ of the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we'll see, there's a lot more that he has to say to men than he does to women. Uh, However, my sermon will not fit that pattern because I've already talked a lot about what men are supposed to be, but let me talk specifically about men here. So, first of all, we see, as we discussed already, Jesus is the head of the church because he cared for her, because he loved her, because he did a lot of things that made him qualified to be her head. And Paul says, look... Men, you got to do that same thing too. If the world is looking at your wife to see what it looks like to submit to God, then the world is also looking at you to see what does it look like to have somebody who loves and cares and cherishes and watches and leads in a positive direction. We see that Christ sanctified her, cleansed her, he nourishes and cherishes her. They are one body. He cares for her as his own body because they are one body. They are unified and they work together. In unison. And so, men, we've got a high calling. This is, I I spoke to the, the parents at the beginning. Like, parents are called to represent God to their children, and that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. In the same way, husbands are called to represent Christ to their wives and to the world, and that is an incredibly difficult thing to do, a thing that we will probably never, ever even come close to living up to. But we gotta try, we gotta keep striving, we gotta keep pushing to love selflessly to care for our wives with the ultimate end of their salvation, their sanctification. That's what Jesus did all of this for. In the same way, we are called to love our wives and to to help them to grow and to be nourished and cherished and sanctified so that they can serve God because we're one body. We're in this together. We're a team. All right, so I've said all that, and I know that there are many of you guys out there thinking, that's great, Brent, all right, but I'm telling you, if my husband were like Jesus, I would, have, I would have no problem submitting to him, you see. My husband's not like Jesus, and, and that's the problem. So, what happens when, when it, it doesn't work out that way? And for that, I will uh, I have to take us out of the book of Ephesians. But I think this detour will be beneficial. So, see, here's the book of, of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we get three passages that kind of address this idea, not only in husbands and wives, but also in some other relationships. So First Peter, this is chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He later says, servants, be subject to your own masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Finally, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the respect of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter says, look, you got to submit to the government because the government is set to protect you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an agent of God to do good on the earth, to hold justice. And I mean, it's hard to say that without laughing because, I mean, Have you seen the government? And Peter had even more more reason to be frustrated by that because Peter was imprisoned by the government. He watched his friends be killed by the government. Like, the government didn't do its job. And yet Peter still says, be subject to the government. Likewise, you might think, okay, slaves, you can submit to your masters as long as your masters are good and as they're representing what the heavens No, He says, to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And finally, he says, wives... Be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives and they see your respectful and pure conduct. We've already said the man's role is to lead and to love and to make sure that his wife is sanctified. That's that's part of his job. And how can you sanctify your wife if you're not even a believer? And so clearly we have in here a a husband who is not doing his job, but what Peter says is it doesn't matter. You still have to play out your role. And so, as we then come back to Ephesians chapter six, this applies to each of the ways that we're going to, each of the things we're going to talk about. Because we are here to represent the love of Christ, the gentleness of God. We are here to represent the submission of the church. The world needs to see that. Our children need to see that. Our spouse needs to see that. The world needs to see that. and We need to learn. We need to learn how to be patient, how to be kind, how to fill that role. Because it teaches us about God. It teaches us. Uh, about maturity. It helps us grow. It helps us to become more holy. Like It does all of these things. And even more so when the other people involved are not doing their job. Think about, for instance, we're about to talk about parents and children. Think about the children of Israel. We've been talking about Moses. okay? And the, the children of Israel are God's children. And it says, parents, be, you know, be, be kind to your children. Lead them up in, in the nurture and admonition. like Lead them in the right way. And, and, and don't provoke them to anger. Like, parents, be good to your kids. Be patient with them. And you might think, oh, that's super easy. Because, you know, if the kids are, are patient, but, but what if my kids are a total wreck? And you look to the Old Testament and you see God caring for his children when they were a total wreck. And when you get to the prophets, you see God, uh, who relates now to Israel as a wife, loving his wife even when she was a total wreck. It doesn't matter what the other person is doing. It is your job to fulfill your role, to love, to submit, to lead. Whatever it is that God calls you to do in your relationship, you've got to do that. And it doesn't matter what the other people are doing. So, parents and children, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, children, obey your parents. This is like, it's pretty simple here. And why? Again, because we understand that God gives us parents to teach us about care, about nourishment. He gives us parents to teach us what love looks like, what patience looks like, and so that we can learn to submit to a higher authority that has our best interest in mind. Children, you got to do that. It's, it's critically important. You can't not do that. Then he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we've already said, look, you know, as a parent, you can be like, look, listen, I'm not a parent. I, 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 do not even, I cannot even begin to understand all of the things that parents have to go through. But I, I can read this text that says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I can read those passages from Peter. They say, look, it doesn't matter how crazy your child is. You still have a job to do, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And do that as, as much as you can, as hard as you can, uh, as, as long as it is still your role to do. And children, obey your parents. And you're going to say, look, I could, I could just obey and respect my parents if they were, like, respectable. And li- listen, I know I've, I've been a teenager. I, I know what it's like to feel like your parents are like, Whoa. But then you, realize, you get older and you realize your parents are great and you just, you just missed out. But even if they are crazy, even if they are like objectively not uh, respectable, which I don't think is the case for any of your children in here. But anyway, even if that were the case, remember what we said, it doesn't matter. You still have a role to play. You still need to be obedient. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. As long as your parents are not leading you to serve you know, Satan or some other god, You've got to do what your parents say because that's what the text says. That's the role you have to play. You've got to learn about obedience. And you got the world is looking at Christian families to see what does peace look like? What does patience look like? What does love look like? And it is your job as a child to be a part of that family so the world can see that. Finally then, and we've already said most of this, but we'll conclude here with uh, bond servants and masters. He says, as Bondservants, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there will be no partiality with him. And so we see here, God encourages slaves. He says, look, you're working really hard. And I'm watching. And when you're working really hard, work like you're working for the Lord. Because guess what? You're reflecting... The master-servant dynamic. We are all servants of God. That is the role we are all called to play. And so if you are a servant, you've got to reflect to the world, what does it look like to be an obedient servant? What does it look like to work really hard for God? And the world is watching. And it doesn't matter if your boss is watching, because God's watching. And masters, which I guess now I'm talking to like bosses, <laughs> managers. Look, he says, you have to be a good master. He says, masters... Do the same to them. That is, uh, do good to them. Stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There's no partiality with him. And this brings us to a very interesting point here at the end of this, uh, this text. That he says, masters, be kind to your servants because, one, you're representing God. But also, there might be a power imbalance now, just as there are in all of these relationships. Parents and uh, children, husband and wife, master and servants. All of these is a power imbalance representing Christ and God and how we represent them and how we relate to them. However, that is not the case when we get to heaven. When When you get to heaven and you're done being in all of these roles, there is not a power imbalance between you and any person. You're all on the same level. And the same master who is their master is also your master. And judgment will come without partiality if you are not doing your part To represent God in the role that you have been placed in. So, that is the household code. And as we conclude this lesson and this series of sermons, let me remind you where we've been through the book of Ephesians. So, Ephesians 1. We've got this idea that God had this this blueprint. From the beginning of the world, he's going to create a blameless people. A holy people, an adopted people. He's going to give them an inheritance. And he got Jesus to make that a reality. He also got Jesus to bring together these two, this is in chapter 2, two uh, unconnectable people. We got the Jews and the Gentiles brought together. He grabbed us, these like rotten planks of people to make his kingdom. These are dead in our trespasses people, he wanted us and he was going to redeem us and recycle us and make us worthy again. And then in chapter 3, we get this amazing message, the message that has been hidden for generations but now is revealed that the message of salvation has come to the Gentiles. And Paul gets to preach that and we get to preach that and as a result of that and the, this, this exciting new opportunities for us to be one in Christ. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't mess us up. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk, chapter 4, in the way that you ought to do. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. Grow up into what Christ would have you to be. Be Uh, sanctified be different from the world follow chapter 5 christ be like him chapter 6 stand up and fight against the powers of darkness and this morning reflect christ in your life let the world see jesus living in you let the world see what submission looks like let them see what love looks like let them see what patience looks like and learn that for yourself and so with all that let me conclude with these last verses that Paul closes with chapter, 20, or chapter 6, verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. As he closes out the letter, he gives them his personal effects. He says, Guys, I love you. I want you to know how I'm doing. Here's how I'm doing. But more importantly, I want you to know that God loves you. And if, as long as you love God and you love him with love incorruptible and you have that grace of God, I want you guys to hold on to that. I want you to keep pressing on. Be the household of God that he wants you to be. And so this morning, if you are subject to the invitation, if if you need to become a part of God's amazing household, we would love to talk with you about that. Or if you're ready to be baptized, we would love to do that for you this morning. Or if you're already a part of the household of God and you have sin in your life or or trials and you're trying to overcome that and you need the presence of the congregation, we would love to help you. If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.